Hello, everyone. My name is Rod. I'm an alcoholic. Hello to all of you out there on Zoom land. And I want to wish my friend Elizabeth a happy birthday. And I'm out of order here, but uh, uh, wish uh, welcome to the newcomers and uh, our other birthday people. I think Derek with 16 years don't know you, but I do know you. And, uh, and Dale, I don't know where Dale went, but I've seen Dale in the rooms for many years. Happy birthday, Dale. I really could identify with the uh, birthday shares and with uh, Rodrigo. Thank you so much for, for sharing tonight. Um, I'll get the particulars out of the way. My sobriety date is December 19th, 1998, which makes me 23. Uh, my sponsor is Rodney D. He lives in Palm Springs. And uh, my home group is a Sunday night discussion group at the Canyon Club. Uh, so normally I'm at my home group, but um, uh, when asked to do this, I said, of course. Now, I, we were at dinner Tuesday night and Elizabeth asked if I could speak. And the first thing that goes through my mind, my mind races, what excuse do I have? What, what is it that I'm doing that night that I can't be here? And I don't say that out loud. What I say, of course, it would be an honor. <laughs> because I've learned to do the deal. You know, I don't say no to AA requests. And I've learned, I learned that at the very beginning. Um, it's interesting too, because some, you know, some of my friends are, several of my friends are here and sponsees and, and dear friends. And uh, so when they were talking Tuesday night that they were gonna come to the meeting and my thoughts, no, no, don't, you don't need to come. You know, don't, you can all, let's keep the meeting small. You know, and then the other part of my brain is, they better be here. <laughs> no one loves me, you know. It's, it's that it's that crazy alcoholic thinking, you know. Give me attention, and then you do, and it's like, oh no, leave me alone, please. Don't talk about me. I, I can't take it. Um, I uh, I'm from Orange County. Uh, I was born and raised here. Grew up in Tustin, uh, and um, you know, uh, I did not think about having alcohol growing up. I had no intent of drinking. I didn't want to drink. I didn't think I would ever drink it. It wasn't because of my family. It was because there was no alcohol in my family. My father never took one drink in his entire life. His father was an alcoholic. I've seen my mother drink uh, enough glasses of wine that you could count on two hands. I don't even know if it might even be one hand. She'd have like one glass of wine and she'd start getting tipsy and it would make me nervous. Like, oh, what's she going to do or say? <laughs> and uh, so I just never thought alcohol would be on the table. I did have a sip of beer when I was five years old. And I remember spinning it out. It was my grandparents' house. And I remember spinning it out on the table and I hated it. And so I never thought that I would drink. I would tell people, even in high school, friends that would drink. Well, I don't need to have a drink. You know, I'm happy without a drink. And it was not true. I was so uptight. I realized that I needed a drink when I was eight. You know, but I just, it wasn't in my household. So I didn't think it was going to happen. I remember we'd like my, my uncle, my, my mom's brothers were alcoholics and we'd be at holiday things. And my parents knew enough to get us out of there before they had too much to drink. And then we'd hear stories about there was a fight. And I was upset. I wanted to see the fight. I wish I could have been there to see it. But today I know that it would have been ugly and I wouldn't have liked it. But in my mind, it's like, that was what I, I that's what I missed. And, um, you know, 
I can tell you this, I, I don't know where my thinking came from. Uh, I grew up in it. I mean, my parents never fought, didn't have a house where my parents were arguing, never heard my dad raise a word to my mother, never heard him swear in front of my mother. It was like, it just didn't happen. My parents were not religious, but they were really old school. And uh, I think I was afraid of my father. My dad did have, he could rage, he was angry sometimes. Um, and, but I was this scared kid. I was just scared from the get-go. I hated school. My last name's Anderson. I was always one of the first ones called for roll call. I hated that. I could hear the kids laughing when, when, I, when I said my name. And I'm sure today they weren't laughing at me, but that's what I heard. They were laughing at me, you know? And I just was always uncomfortable. I just, I hated my name. You know, uh, growing up in school, I was not that coordinated. I wasn't good at sports. I was always one of the last ones picked. And that told me at an early age, you're just a piece of shit, you know? And that's what I heard. I mean, that's what I believed and bought into that idea. Um, I do remember growing up, I remember hearing my dad say things like alcohol is bad, smoking is bad, homosexuality is bad. I've had practice in all three. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I didn't, you know, the drinking and cigarettes were a choice. The last one I don't think was a choice, but I tried to make it a choice for a lot of years. I lived in denial for many, many years of my life. And um, so uh, I was a late bloomer. Um, I drank some beer the night I graduated from high school because that's what you're supposed to do. And I don't think I could even finish one can. I just didn't like it. So I, um, I had been a poor student, but somewhere around seventh or eighth grade, I made the decision that I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna improve myself. I wanna do better. And I started studying hard and my grades improved. And then I had a goal that I was gonna go to college. And uh, my parents always had that, that, you know, they didn't go to college and they wanted me to go to college. And so that was always like, that's gonna happen. And uh, eventually I uh, went to one of the uh, four-year universities up in, uh, up in Los Angeles. And uh, when I went up there, I had the idea that this is my life's going to begin now. I am going to change. I had all these dreams. I'm gonna become a social person. Uh, I'm gonna do really well in school. And just, I mean, it was gonna be a different life because I was getting away from all those people that I knew. I, I had gone to school with the same people from kindergarten through, through 12th grade. And they were the problem. What I didn't know is that the problem was me and I was taking it with, I was taking myself with me. And so uh, by the time I graduated, in my mind, I was a failure. I failed because I'm the same person that came into this college, you know, after out of high school, I went to two different schools. That's not important, but, but, uh, and that's when I started drinking that summer, I started drinking and it was on and I loved it, but I was also a very closeted drinker and I was in the closet, but I was very closeted. <laughs> I, you know, didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want my parents to know. So I hid my drinking. And uh, I wasn't, I was a bar drinker. I may not go to bars and I, I love to dance, 
And I would go to like mainstream straight bars and dance and ask girls to dance because that was the right thing to do in my mind. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I used to go with my sister and her friends and we go out drinking and we go dancing at Black Angus and Teston on Teston Avenue. And, you know, I had a good time, um, you know, and I was always the one, though, that I drank before I got to the bar. And then in front of them, I didn't drink much because I don't want them to think that I have a problem. So, uh, but it was on, I became a daily drinker from the get-go. And I loved the effect pro produced by alcohol. And, um, you know, uh, I drank and drove a lot. I could have had hundreds of DUIs. You can't do that, they're gonna put you, they're gonna lock you up. But I was eligible to, you know, I was always drunk. I was always above the legal limit when I drove drunk. And um, in 1988, I got my first DUI. So what I did after that was I didn't, they didn't send me to AA, but my decision was I am going to curtail my drinking and driving. So, and I did do that. I did not drink and drive nearly as often. <laughs> the problem was when I drove, I was always wasted. You know, I wouldn't get behind the wheel unless I was really wasted. And I don't know how I went eight more years. But in December of 1996, I got arrested. I, I, the big problem was that I took the wrong, I, I went the wrong way home. I left this sport bar in Irvine. And instead of taking the back roads, I got on the five freeway. So there behind me, you know, here comes the, the, the light flashing behind me and he distracted me because I hit the exit 99 sign, <laughs> which is on Culver in Irvine. I paid for that sign and I pulled over and the officer kind of comes up to the window, gets out my license. Mr. Anderson, have you been drinking tonight? Officer, I'm shit-faced, take me in. <laughs> I mean, I'd already had, there's no way I'm gonna pass the field sobriety test. It's not gonna happen. I had one eye closed on the freeway on the way to the bar. And I have no, I don't know how much I drank, but, but you know, but I know what, I had a 0.24 blood alcohol. And I was so ashamed so disgusted with myself. It's on the police report or on the highway patrolman's report. You know, I, how am I gonna tell my parents? You know, uh, you know, I can't believe I did this. What's wrong with me? You know, why, why did I do this? So the drill is, you know, you go to court, I got an attorney. Uh, my attorney told me that the, the district attorney, I guess the DA, they're gonna ask that you go to AA meetings. As part of the part of the uh, fine, the fines and everything, you know, all their requirements. And I told my attorney, I don't mind the fine. Can I pay more money? Ask the court, can I pay more money so that I don't have to go to AA? I'm not an alcoholic. Why do I need to go to these AA meetings? I've never been to an AA meeting, but I already know it's not for me. Coincidentally, <laughs> my sister was already going to meetings at the time she had got sober. And, uh, you know, my attorney said, you might learn something. It's like, okay, whatever. And I will tell you that uh, this was a lot to do with my alcoholism. 
I was controlling my drinking up to that point. I would go to the liquor store and buy pints of vodka. And most of the time, that's what I drank every night, a pint of vodka. Because if I had more in the house, I'll drink it. So I controlled my drinking by the quantity that I purchased. So what happens is I can't drive my car. And I think I'm gonna be able, I'm gonna quit now. But I, I have to have a drink. The only thing I could do was walk to the liquor store. And the nearest liquor store was, I don't know, half a mile, or a mile. I'll, I'll, I'll go to any lengths to get my booze. And they did not have pints. I had to buy like the 375 milliliter or whatever the next size up. I had to get the bigger bottle. So I have to go to my first counseling at eight o'clock in the morning. It was called Gold Coast Counseling down at the airport. And my dad's going to pick me up. So, okay, I'm going to drink half the bottle. Why am I even having any? That's insanity. But I'll drink half, I'll mark it, and I'll drink half the bottle, because then I'll just drink my regular pint. That didn't happen. I drank the whole thing. The alarm went up off in the morning, and I was spinning. I mean, it was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? I mean, I, I just, I'd never experienced that before. You know, talks in the book about the, the least opportune time to drink when you're going, you know, to alcohol counseling. And I'm, I mean, I'm, it's like, how am I going to do this? Well, they won't know. My dad picks me up. I crack the window make sure that, you know, I don't know. So I'm going to crack the window just in case, you know, but you can't smell vodka, can you? Yeah. And, and, and so I get to the counseling place. And I'm doing the intake and this woman behind the desk, she goes, uh, when was the last time you had a drink? Oh, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> well, I smell alcohol. I don't know how that can be. <laughs> I was so like, oh my God, I can't believe I haven't done this. I was so ashamed. So then I meet my counselor. And he has me fill out, you know, this long questionnaire. First thing he does is he goes to the last question. Can you tell me when they ask, do you think you're an alcoholic? Why did you say no? We can smell the booze on you. <clears throat> if your dad hadn't drove you, we would have to report you to the authorities. I don't know if they just did that to scare me. But, you know, I believe to this day that that is when I started hitting bottom that very moment because for the first time i did not have an answer i was totally perplexed i i don't know i don't know why i don't know why i you know why did you drink that much when you're coming here i don't know and i really didn't i could not understand it so anyways I started to have to go in these meetings. I went to the way home meeting. We were talking about, Dylan and I were talking about that. And uh, I had to go, I was on the second offenders program because of my high blood alcohol. And I had to do meetings, I think for, for nine, mo nine months. And, um, and I looked at it like, okay, this is like, uh, I owe this obligation to the county. I did wrong. So I have to just do this. But I'm not an alcoholic. I still am like, you know, I don't want to be an alcoholic. 
It's probably the truth. I'm in denial. It can't be. I can't be an alcoholic. And um, I remember going to those classes and they, would, they, they wanted to know your sobriety date. You know, and I told them a date. I couldn't ever remember the date. I was <laughs> like, what date in February did I say? I just don't know what date it was because, I mean, it wasn't real. I was drinking, you know, between every AA meeting and I went to, I went right to the liquor store and, you know, I just couldn't stop. And, you know, um, the thing that was interesting is I was going to those meetings and when I left the meeting, I felt good. There was something going on. But what I thought it was, I felt good because I'm going to the liquor store and I'm going to get, I'm going to get drunk. And that's why I felt good. But what I didn't realize at the time is I was feeling hope. I was hearing the hope in the rooms, but I wasn't willing to ask for help. Bottom line, I never asked anyone for help. A sponsor, well, you gotta tell the sponsor, you gotta be honest about everything. I can't do that. I can't be honest, I have secrets. I can't tell anyone my secrets. You know, and that's my disease telling me, lying to me. And um, I walked out of that last court ordered meeting and the thought that went through my mind was, I will probably be back. I hope it's not because I get another DUI, but I'll probably be back. I promise I would never drink and drive again. That went out the window. One night I was going out somewhere and a car backed up. It wasn't my fault, but a car backed up and, and hit me. And then they pulled over to the side of the road. They were changing lanes and they decided to get in the left lane and they pulled over thinking I'm going to like come behind them. I just took, I just drove. There's no way. I mean, I'm going to get a DUI. Like if, if, uh, you know, if the police department shows up. I was, at this time, my sister's already, she's been sober. My sister got sober because I kicked her out of my house because she had a problem. <laughs> you need to get help. Not thinking that she was going to get sober because she'd been going to me. and like, oh, that's not going to do her any good. When I kicked her out of the house, 30 days later, she got sober and she's been sober ever since. She's got 27 years. So here's what happened. And if you're new, if you're on Zoom and you're new, I hope that you have a moment of clarity. I had a moment of clarity. It's, so, it's as clear to me today as it was the day it happened. It was in probably around Thanksgiving, 1998. I don't wanna live the lie anymore. I wanna come out as a gay man. I'm not gonna do that if I keep drinking because all these years I just covered it up with alcohol and I know where to go. If I get sober, I know where to go. I got a counselor, Am I, how am I doing on time? Okay, good, because I gotta get sober. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I called someone, this guy I knew, he told me, he said, you're drunk, you need to go to AA. 
by the way, they have gay AA meetings. I asked him for help. I said, I need help. He gave me the, the number to uh, a center in Orange County, which is a coming out group. And I called him. I said, I started the conversation out. I'm an alcoholic and I'm in the closet. I want to get sober. Oh, well, we've got some meetings here. We can tell you where the meetings are at. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, I, hold on. I am not ready for that. I've got to come talk to someone. Never had therapy in my entire life, but I've got to come talk to someone. So I set it up. I got an appointment. And uh, you know, just started talking to this guy. And um, told him all my fears and, and, you know, that I was drinking a lot. And uh, he didn't really know anything about alcoholism. He was actually an intern. But uh, started asking me, you know, have you gone to a meeting yet? No. The next week, have you gone to a meeting yet? No, not ready. The next time I go, he doesn't ask me. Nothing is mentioned. I walked out of there and I said, it's time. I need to go to a meeting. You know, don't tell me what to do. It's got to be my idea. And I walked, it was, it was uh, December 17th, 1998. I walked into this meeting, first time in my life without a court card. And um, the first time I, you know, I, I took a chip. I had never taken a new camera chip. It's like, this has got to work. I got I got to do this. And it was different. I mean, I went to coffee with some of the guys after the meeting. And, you know, I saw, I, I like, this is, I want this. I mean, it was a real attraction to me. The next night I drank. Because I didn't know, I didn't like get enough numbers to know, whatever. It doesn't matter. I, did, I drank the next night. I don't recommend that. But that's just my story. At about five minutes to 12, I had one glass left and I dumped it down the sink. This is gonna be my last day. And I've never drank since. I walked into an A meeting. I went to the Saturday night speaker meeting in Laguna at the hospital. I'd never been there again, but I just found a meeting and I needed a meeting and that was my first sober meeting. And, um, I came in with, you know, the open-mindedness. I didn't know the word. I mean, I didn't know that's what it was to do whatever they asked me. I'm going to be willing. I know this is going to be uncomfortable. They ask you to share in meetings. I can't do that. If I can't sound profound, why would I share? Total unrealistic. But I started my journey. About 30 days into it, um, I asked this man to be my sponsor. I mentioned his name early, Rodney D. lives in Palm Springs, and he's been my sponsor ever since. And he started out, he started me out on my path. I got a lot of good direction. That man, I mean, I called him two or three times a day sometimes. 
the beginning. I was so scared. I was the proverbial deer caught in the headlights. I remember when I took my one-year share at, the, at this meeting down at the hospital in, in Laguna, you know, he, he, my sponsor got up there and shared. He said, you know, when Rod came in here, he could tell you what all your shoes were because his head was down the whole time. I could not hold my head up. I was so ashamed. I had so much guilt. I was ashamed that I was a 42-year-old man that had never been, you know, lied my whole life. And, uh, and I'm not saying that because I'm gay has anything to do with my alcoholism. It doesn't have anything to do with it. I know that today. It's just part of my story. And, um, you know, I'm a different person. And it's because of the steps of Athos Anonymous and this fellowship that I just absolutely love. It's changed my life. I am not the person who walked in those doors. I didn't really know what an alcoholic was. I mean, I thought alcohol was my problem. If you can get me off the booze, my life will be go along perfect. I don't have character defects you people talked about. Well, I don't have any of those. <laughs> I mean, I feel sorry for you guys, but you know, I don't have anything wrong with me. I just am drinking, drinking. I'm hooked on drinking and I got to get a break from it. And I really believe that. And it wasn't long into my sobriety that I realized there's a lot more to this than just my drinking. And I know today you take away the, the if, if you're if you're not an alcoholic, you take the drink away. A lot of people can take the drink when they just go on with their lives. I can't do that because I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, I don't have alcohol and my thinking is off. I mean, there's, you know, there's a problem with my thinking. And the solution is the steps. You know, and um, I work those steps with my sponsor. And I followed his direction. And I still, you know, I give those directions, the things I learned from him at the very beginning or what I pass on to the, the men and a few women that I sponsor. And it works. I wouldn't be here before you denied it if it didn't work 23 years later. If I didn't go to AA, I know I would eventually drink again. That's just, I forget. I would forget that I'm an alcoholic. I come to meetings so that I can hear the new people and remember what I was like when I got here and knowing I am not immune. And I don't wanna lose what this life I have today. You know, and I'm one of those that, you know, I came in, I surrendered and I've never walked away from AA. You know, I have been a regular attendee. I still go to five meetings a week and, I've, and I start sponsoring people at the very beginning, early on. When I had about a year, my sponsor said, it's time that you start sponsoring me. It's like, oh. How am I going to do that? I don't know anything. I hadn't even done my fourth step yet. So well, someone asked you, you know, it's time for you to start helping others. About two weeks later, I was at this meeting and this guy, I went up, you know, I learned that you reach out to newcomers. For some reason, they want you to call newcomers and reach out to them, you know, and I followed that direction because I was afraid if I didn't follow my sponsor's direction, I would drink. I mean, I really believe that. So I did what he said, not always perfectly, not with some hesitation sometimes, you know, uh, but I did it. And this guy asked me to be, a, he, he asked me to come up to the, he was a patient in, at the treatment center there at uh, South Coast Hospital at the time. And he, you know, asked me to come up to his room and he wanted me to read to him. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, I went back the next night. And when I told him that first night, I said, I want you to read. And I didn't, I mean, I hear you 
you know, you come into AA and you hear what other people do. And so you hear this stuff like, okay, well, why don't I, I'm going to tell them to read, uh, to read the acceptance, uh, Dr. Paul's story. And I want you to read the acceptance pages at the, that time it was in the, it was in the, the third edition, 44, I think 448 and 449. And I said, I want you to read that. And I'll come back tomorrow night and we'll talk about it. So I came back the next night. Did you read that? No, I haven't read it. I want you to read it to me. And I sat down on the side of the bed and I read it to him. And I got it. I heard the words and that acceptance, like, oh my God, you know, this is what this means. I'm giving it away. And I got it. This man never got it. He died about of, a, of a overdose about seven years later. But that started my path on helping others. And that is like one of the best things in my life today. It helps me. I'm, I feel a responsibility to the men and women that I sponsor. There's a couple of them in the room tonight. He was a grand sponsee, two grand sponsees. Oh, no. Someone sponsored by my sponsor. <laughs> what do you call that? My cousin? Uh, <laughs> My nephew, no, I guess it's my nephew. <laughs> it's a good life, you know? The steps work. I started sponsoring people. I think I was like a year and a half, maybe two years sober, and I had like three sponsees, and they were all staying sober, and I'm thinking, God, bro, what are you doing? I mean, you've got some special talent here. They're all staying sober. I mean, you know, there's something here. You did, I didn't realize I had all this power. <laughs> A week later, all three of them were drunk. <laughs> but I stayed sober. One of those men has 22 years now. So, you know, um, I've had a lot of experiences. You know, uh, service is an important part of my of my, of my, you know, sobriety. I, I always take commitments and meetings. That makes me feel a part of. The very first commitment I ever had was to be the literature of this men's stag in Santa Ana. And they, when they asked me that, I said, oh, I can't do that because there's another meeting down in Laguna I want to go on Tuesday nights. So I can't commit to that. And then that's when I heard, you know, don't say no to an AA commitment. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Mind you, it's important that I go to that other meeting. I didn't go to it for seven years. I got into that meeting and I stayed. And, um, you know, I learned what it's, you know, what having a commitment is because I didn't do commitments very well. And, um, you know, a lot of things have happened along the road. Lost my father seven years ago, that was hard. Early on in my sobriety, it was on my fear list. What am I going to do? When my, how am I going to not drink when my dad dies? And when it happened, I was prepared. I was good. And we were good. You know, it was, there was a rough, there's been some rough times. My parents, I lived in denial and my parents lived in denial too. And when my Seven-year-old niece added me to my parents when I had five years sober. That was, a, that was an ugly experience. 
my mom called me and said, we need to talk to you. And I called my sponsor and I said, they know, Rod, now you don't know why they're asking you out there. You don't know that they know. I said, they know. <laughs> I know my parents. They don't, my mom doesn't say you need to come up here now. Now, mind you, a week before, my partner at the time had been going to Thanksgiving for three years. Hello. And they don't know. I mean, we were at their house for Christmas. And how many, like, at the time, what, 45-year-old men or 46-year-old men exchanged seven gifts with another guy? With dad sitting right there next to us? They were, my, they were bad. I mean, they, I did not, all I can say is I'm glad it didn't happen when I was new because it was ugly. I mean, I heard things come out of my dad's mouth that I didn't expect to hear. And uh, they were just mad though. I mean, cause they'd lived the lie along. I, I lived the lie for all those years. How could I expect them to suddenly like be marching in B-flag? <laughs> you know, I just, I, it, you know, but it was just, it was bad. I mean, and, and, but you know, I didn't get, I didn't think about taking a drink. I did not take, think about taking a drink. The next morning I showed up, I, well, no, it was that, that night, my sponsor lived in LA at the time. And this isn't a God shot. He lived in LA. I was the secretary of a Saturday night meeting at Laguna. And he was my main speaker that night. And he came to my house and had dinner with me. And I'd, he'd been sponsoring five years at that point. He had never had dinner at my house, but I got to have that time with him because that was a tough day, you know? Uh, you know, they, my dad said, we've got this place in Missouri. They're gonna, you know, reprogram you. And I was like, that's not happening. That's not gonna work. I mean, it took me all these years to like, you know, admit who I am and, and, and you know, I'm not interested. They didn't like that. Oh, and then when my dad asked me, have you ever been with a woman? And I, when I told him no, oh my God. <laughs> he did not like that. He goes, how do you know? You don't know what you're missing. <laughs> dad, I don't know. Maybe you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> but... I allowed them that day. I allowed them that day. And it was two hours that I was there and just heard, you know, lots of ugly things. My mom was kind of quiet, but it was like my dad said, how could you do this to your mother? Well, what did I do to her? You know? And um, it, was a, it was kind of a long path after that. My dad and I worked together. We had a, we have a business, we had a business. And so I had to you know, see him every day. And it was a little touch and go there for a little while. Initially, I was really scared because I'm thinking he's going to fire me. And it was like, well, he needs me. How's he going to do that? I'm running the business. And um, so uh, my mom was over it like in two days. But it took my dad a couple of years. He wouldn't come to Thanksgiving. And um, I remember like the second year when he didn't come, I said, mom, here's some food. Take it to dad. I'm not taking that to him, <laughs> you know, just let him stew in it. You know, he didn't come. He doesn't get Thanksgiving. 
my niece told him, said, you're a stubborn old man. You know? And there was a turning point. And I remember the day it happened when my dad was saying something and, 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 you know, and then and I said something and, and he goes, I'm not going to change you. I said, no, I'm not going to change you either, am I? And it kind of was like a turning point. It's kind of like something changed that day. It was like three years later, maybe. And then one day I have season tickets to uh, my college football team. And um, my, they used to go for years, didn't go for a couple of years. And one day I, um, I, I asked, I know, I know my mom wanted to go. And so I called him up and I said, you guys want to go to the game this weekend? Let me ask your mom. Yeah, she wants to go. And then I said, by the way, Jim's going there. Well, your mom wants to go. And I don't know who this man was, but he got in that car and he talked to Jim the whole way up to the game and the whole way back. He, he, it was like, who is this person? Like, what happened? We got back to their house and he's like, come in. I want to show you my music, you know, and come back and see me again. I was breaking up with it, by the way. So it was the end of it. But, uh, <laughs> but it was a change, you know, and, and so my dad and I got past that, you know, it just, and I, and I had to take the attitude, it took me all those years to deal with it. How could I expect them to, to deal with it overnight when I played the lie for all those years, but it was like a total denial. It was, we were all in denial when I was in denial and, you know, I thought I could be a different person. My whole deal was when I started drinking and I, I when I first started drinking, my thought was. Grandpa was an alcoholic, and this is not a good idea. I will drink until I'm 30. And then I'm going to meet the right woman, and I'm going to get married and do the right thing. And the next thing you know, I'm 42 years old, and I'm drunk, you know. And um, I couldn't do that. Um, I did meet this girl one time on a cruise. And it was like, she has got everything I said I would. We went on to some dates and one night I went on a date with her and her, um, I don't mind telling the story, but I went out on a date with her and her sister and her sister had a fiance and it was like, I'm looking at him. <laughs> and then it's like, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> I just, Okay, so then I just made the decision. I'm just gonna like, you know, bury myself in my work. My parents bought into it. They always said, um, you know, people would ask, how come Rod's not married? Oh, he works hard. He works long hours. He doesn't have time for that. And that's the same thing I told people. And you know, it was just a lie, but I don't know why I didn't mean to spend that much time on that, but it's just part of my story. But it's also a story of healing. My family healed. I started going to Al-Anon 17 years ago and um, my family's changed as a result of my going to Al-Anon and my sister going to Al-Anon. You know, it's rubbed off on all of them. You know, the 12 steps and, and uh, programs work. Um, there's been some tough times though. Uh, besides that, I, I remember one year my grandma died, my dog died. And he had this, uh, got into this big lawsuit. So what was my solution? 
I started talking to newcomers, what I was taught to do. They are the solution. I got to get out of my head because it's dangerous up here. And I started talking to newcomers. And then the next thing I know, I've got two or three more sponsees. I wasn't necessarily looking for that, but I just need relief. I've got to have relief. I am an alcoholic. And my normal thing is to drink. And when I take that first drink, I have an allergic reaction and it is on. I cannot stop because of the grace of a God that I did not believe in when I got here. I've been able to stay sober for 23 plus years. And that's a miracle for an alcoholic. And I love my life today. And it's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous, the one thing I tried to pay to get out of. Because this is not going to work for me. God damn it, it did. You know, sorry, I don't know if you swear. I swear a few times tonight, but uh, I, uh, I saw the time and I'm going to end. Uh, but, you know, if you're new, what someone else said earlier, get a sponsor. Call the sponsor. Call them every day. Follow the direction. They may say some things that don't make a lot of sense to you. Do it anyways. Take the contrary action. And I'll end with this on contrary action. I was going to a meeting one night down in South Laguna, down at the hospital. I was like driving by the Canyon Club. I don't want to go to that meeting tonight. Turn the car around, start headed back home. No, you better go. Contrary action. Turn around, start headed back down. I don't want to go tonight. Again, headed back home. And then I, you know, I, I went to the meeting. And I heard what I needed to hear. This woman, I don't know what she shared, but this woman I knew shared something that I needed to hear. And I could have missed that. I could have missed this whole thing. So if, you know, my message to you is just stay and do it and don't drink. Thanks for allowing me to share.